Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to a special episode of Al Frisco, the SF Podcast, a production of the San Francisco Cultural History Museum. I'm your producer and co-host, Kevin Hunsanger, and this time around, we're pulling everyone into the studio for a deep dive, roundtable discussion that we're optimistically calling Al Frisco On Topic. We'll be focusing our razor-sharp attention on an article that appeared in The Guardian on September 12th by Peter Lawrence Kane, called Rich People Leave, Artists and Queerdos Return, Is San Francisco's Tech Exodus Real or a Fantasy? I think you get the gist, so go ahead and sit back, pour one out for RBG, and enjoy this debut episode of Al Frisco On Topic. We're all here. Megan, you got your wine? I got my wine. I'm about, I'm about wine. to pour myself a drink now, too. What, what kind of wine are you drinking today? Unless, um, I'm having some Prosecco, and I'm, I just poured a little out for RBG. So. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I'm having some absinthe, some Swiss, some Swiss absinthe, because just got to stay as far away from things as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. A little bit out to RBG too. That, yeah, we're that's that's crushing. That's a crushing loss. Yeah. yeah it's fucking fucking terrible. <laughs> like it's like the worst possible thing that could happen. Yeah. Because we're like, so. I mean, because McConnell's already said that he's going to push for, you know, appointing somebody. I want to take days. his fucking turkey fucking flap and pull it over his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, we, this is, yeah, well, not to be doomsayer about it, but yeah, this is about as bad as, you know, it could have happened because we might not really have anything to talk about <laughs> from this point forward. Like, it's so easy um, to align things completely against um you know anything good coming out of san francisco but okay let's assume that things you know can pursue uh, a, a positive course in san francisco uh twitter is like subletting a hundred thousand square feet of their headquarters downtown the Pinterest is, you know, bailed on their lease, spent eighty million dollars to get out of a, a lease so that That's they can 90. flee the Yeah, yeah, ninety five or six to be exact. It's ridiculous. So we've got all these um, you know, all these opportunities in San Francisco. Will it matter? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, maybe we could put homeless people in all those empty spaces. They're already paid for, right? Right. Ninety million dollars. You know, that's been paid, you know, to get out and they're all open. And, and yeah, sure. I like the idea. Just, you know, I, I, like many people, want to see less homelessness on the street. But there's so many mentally ill people, right? You know, a long time ago, I actually was at this um, event that was hosted by the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. And this was that during that really weird time when Mark Farrell was like the mayor for like five years. Right. Um, and his idea was to put homeless people on a boat. Just put them all on a boat. Yeah. And let them be on that boat. And I, and I was just thinking, damn, like, where's the humanity? Like, there's so many mentally ill people out there. Um, they can't just go live 
not all of them could just go live like in a hotel or in an old tech company or something. They're going to like kill each other or do something crazy or burn the place up. Like, I mean, the, the, the boat thing, well, it's actually theoretically not a terrible idea. Like, let's say you take a big cruise ship, right? Like one of these, a decommissioned cruise ship, and everybody gets their own room and you could bring all the services to them. It's not a terrible idea because you could fit everybody. Um, I mean, I don't know how that would work. But it's something where, like, because like, I think that the key to, like, uh, housing people is also give it, like kind of what they do with navigation centers is bringing the services to them. So that way we can help rehabilitate people who want to be rehabilitated, who can be rehabilitated, while also, um, you know, getting help to people who are mentally ill. I mean, I, I don't think a, a, a cruise, a homeless cruise ship is necessarily the answer. But, um, you know, finding some space because that's, that you know, it's been shown that like the way you solve homelessness is just to give someone a home. And if we can give them the resources they need, that then they're more likely to get up on their feet and, and not end up back in homelessness. But we have a lot of the, we do kind of have like some of those resources. I wonder where we're missing the mark. Like we're, we're missing the mark on the housing part of it because like, there's just not enough beds for everybody. Right. So they, on any given night, there's a, there's like a thousand people waiting to get on the, the list for a bed. And what about yeah, so people they... who come into San Francisco? You know, I've heard even from homeless people in my reporting, it's just easy to be homeless in San Francisco. There's like several places before even 10 a.m. that you could go to have like a free meal. And some people go to all three of them. Like it, it just seems like it's a yeah, I, spent, I spent many years in Santa Cruz and it, it felt that way too. Like, well, it's just, a, it's a, you know, the weather's perfect, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of support for, you know, um, uh, assistance so go here and then everybody goes there i love your idea uh steward of, of uh one of those decommissioned cruise ships like or or treasure island like that's san francisco owned now what's going on with treasure island it, would well, be it looks really like today the mayor actually announced that there's um 100 percent affordable housing units going over to treasure island yeah, it would be really neat, but there are no stores. So, <laughs> right. know, so it's a Let strange. Me be the mm-hmm. same with the cruise ship. It's it's just a really tough situation. As it is because then and you're I'm, also like you're also like removing the like quote unquote like removing the problem away so nobody can see it as well. It's not, well, it, you know, no, yeah. I mean they put they put like casinos on river boats, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, it'll work for gambling. Why don't we try to make it work for housing? I think it's a wonderful idea. And we have we have space in the bay, and there are these cruise ships that sure I think that could be definitely repurposed for that. It's a really curious notion. So Ronald Reagan was a guy that the the president that defunded all these types of services, right? And that's why everybody left Napa and came to San Francisco. Well, yeah, uh, between between Reagan and Bush the first, uh, they cut uh, like I think they cut HUD housing, just HUD itself, by fifty percent. And, you know, the problem with that is like, you know, um, when when the government stops being literally invested in, in creating housing for people, uh, people stop having places to live. It's right. that simple. And mm-hmm. so because like, there's a, don't go wrong. There's a lot of there are a lot of mentally ill people on the streets, but there's also like people perfectly sane people who who have just like, you know, like I'm very lucky in the sense that like if everything totally goes to shit in my life, I can st- stay on my parents couch. You know, that's, that's a privilege in itself and, yeah. and not everybody has that privilege to be able to like go someplace if everything goes to shit and that's who ends up on the street. And there, but there then how many of to, us are one... to work every day who live in a tent, you know? Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. One step away from the streets, one paycheck, two paychecks away and, and we're, you know, 
all going to be there. And then yeah. what? I mean, it's, it's it's really true. And so I think that's San Francisco, I think it's a unique city to find itself in this position because we're a unique city that's created this situation for ourselves. You know, we're tourist base, which has just completely fallen off, you know, the radar. Uh, you know, um, there are no, you know, conferences coming. All of these things via COVID, you know, have been canceled. Um, and then we look back on the year or two preceding this, that we just were creating a situation that was untenable. You know, the disparity of income was so gross here that uh, nobody really wanted to visit, you know, and all of the natural charms of the city offered meant nothing when uh, it was just so obvious that there was so many things broken in this city. And so now we find ourselves with these huge vacancies, you know, we we're going to have these tent poles, you know, corporations, Twitter and Pinterest and whatever, down in the, you know, Market Street and South of Market areas, they're all fleeing. And so now we've just got nothing but the detritus and nothing coming in. I mean, yeah, there's going to be an Ikea has been announced. Is that really going to be a good thing? Is that going to be, you know, is that going to solve a lot of the problems with the downtown areas that we're going no, to have I, consumers? I, and, and this is a very unpopular opinion. I think the Ikea will help a lot. A lot of people I think are it like, will too. Ikea? You know, when I was 16 and I grew up in San Francisco, born and raised here, my very first job was at AMC 1000. Willie Brown was mayor at the time. He said, look, when you open up this place, you better make sure that black and brown kids from these underserved communities have opportunities to have after-school jobs here. And that's what they did. So you had all these kids from all these different high schools working in AMC 1000. And then I left there and I went over to Virgin Megastore, which was actually cool to work at the, at the time. And I was like, I bet. working there. Was that the, the Stone Town? Oh, no, the downtown were, Virgin Store. Very knowledgeable. Yeah. And then on top of that, you had Old Navy, which just opened up. You had like a couple of like high-end shoe stores and all these different things along the Market Street corridor where it was all teenagers working. And I was like the cool one because I had the cool job at Virgin. Nobody, you know, <laughs> like maybe we can kind of Guess go back to that wasn't hiring or creating jobs for young people or for just anybody who needs a job. And do you know how long that building has been sitting empty? Yeah, like five years. So long. So, Somebody lost their ass on that, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I know, I hear people when they're like, why Ikea? First of all, I got I have Ikea shit in my house, all right? I'm not mad at Ikea. So, oh, let, yeah, yeah, I'm just afraid I'm going to end up in there accidentally with Kyla and we're going to break up. <laughs> have you have you been to ikea with your significant other it's awful it's the worst experience ever i think i like it changed the friendship that i had with someone <laughs> <laughs> every day like one of my really good friends and i went and like we were silent on our way back we didn't yeah I, I don't like the person i am when i'm in the ikea store you know <laughs> <laughs> And, so like, and then I also, so as we, as we do like a deep dive into this article, I'm also thinking about like 1990s when we had this first like influx of tech. My sister mm -hmm. actually worked that road on Rhode Island over in the Sega building. Mm -hmm. That building when you're getting off the freeway, you're like, what's in there? Is it all just, is it just full of Segas? Like, what <laughs> you know, so there was like a, a bunch of um, tech companies in there. And I think it was, uh, God, what's, what's the one? I'm, I'm drawing a total blank here, but it's um, 
when you start at Facebook, there was a bunch of games that would just pop up, like farm uh, Zynga. Zynga. Farm, farm or oh yeah, Zynga. Like all that stuff, right? So this yeah. is like the first version of, of right. the tech situation. So well, I that's what it's a very interesting point, and it's something that I was thinking about with this is that technology in San Francisco has always been creative and it turned square a handful of years ago. Like that first tech wave, like we're talking about with Zynga and, and, uh, uh, you know, I remember like the weirdness of wired gulch and the opportunity of like Timothy Leary was doing virtual reality to try to replicate the LSD experience. And this was going to be something that would transport us all into these completely strange other realms. And once again, San Francisco felt like it was the, the heartbeat of the new technology. And that first wave of that, you know, the dot-com era, uh, when everything really changed at this moment in San Francisco, or at that moment in San Francisco, it felt like it was still part of that creative path that San Francisco was always somehow offered people like there's something creative here there's something artistic there's something weird going on and you can be a part of it it always offered that to those who would give themselves to the city uh and it just turned so square so fast recently i, I, I think the reason for that is is they finally figured out how to make a lot of money doing it like real money yeah, yeah that mean, was the, the first dot com was like a handful of years of of like you know, because, you know, the internet's that, you know, early internet was all Bay Area, you know, like, and like, right. uh, you know, and like, it was all like anarchists and weird nerds and the Bernie Man yes. people. And like, yes. then like, you got the, once the marketing guys got involved and the salespeople, you know, they're like, oh shit, we can make some money. That obviously popped. But this time around, they figured out how to make money in a way that, that wasn't poppable because suddenly the whole it was world real was on the money. Internet, Whereas the first time around, it's like, uh, you know, who was using the internet in 1999 other than like, you know, it was, first of all, it was a slow internet. And secondly, it was like, you know, right. Like very few people above college age were really online. And nobody right. was online. If you didn't have your AOL CD disc. Totally. You didn't, you didn't, yeah, you, you didn't have a computer in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. So let's yeah, go ahead. Stuart. Oh no, go ahead. Kevin. No, I was just going to say, let's try to bring this back to what we're talking about now is that San Francisco, all these things have happened and they, a lot of it did happen here. And it's, uh, where, where are we at right now? Is that, is that a good thing? Or is that, is that thing that made you stop, whether it was technology based or artistic based or what brought you to San Francisco? Megan, I know that you were born in the, you know, in, 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 in San Francisco. I think you're the only one. Marky, were you, where'd you come from? I'm from Detroit. Hmm. Ooh. My family's from Detroit. I, I, I was born and raised in Texas. Ah. Uh, Stuart. I'm from San Diego. Yeah. So, but, so we all stopped in San Francisco for a reason. Megan, did you live anywhere else? Did you move and come back to the city? When I was a baby for like a hot second, my mom tried to, we, my mom and dad took me to LA and I literally couldn't breathe the, <laughs> the Inglewood air. So they brought us back to um, San Francisco. Just had to come home. Yeah, had to come home. I mean, for, yeah. for whatever reason, this is home to a lot of us for a, for a long time. Does that city exist for you again? If you were to come here for the first time, uh, Stuart, Mark, would you stop? Would you stay here? No, I'd be in Oakland. I mean, if 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 twenty if twenty one year old Stuart was coming to 
to the Bay now, he would go to Oakland, I think. I mean, who knows? Right now, like, in the, at least the pre-COVID, basically from, like, the past five years or something like that, right? Oakland would have been my choice. But, you know, uh, it's interesting to see what the, what the post-COVID San Francisco is going to be like. I mean, there's been, an, there's been an absolute reckoning when it comes to corporate space, when it comes to, like, commercial space. And uh, it's never going to go back to how it was. Even, even if they ended the pandemic tomorrow, people realized, fuck, I don't have to be in an office. And bosses realized, shit, I don't have to pay for an office. So, I mean... You, you may see more an upright uh, a rise in like you know more co-working spaces and stuff like that if the if the pandemic ends but I don't think you'll see these like monolithic buildings full of fucking companies again it's just not necessary in this post covid digital world right wasn't that already kind of it that was starting to turn me off about San Francisco coming up to these these years with these like you say these co-working spaces or these coffee shops that used to be a hotbed of culture and then all of a sudden they just they're like off-site office you know I got to get out of the house so I'm going to go work in the coffee shop so where coffee shops used to be you know the centers of conversation and meeting people and and you know an enthusiastic exchange everybody's buried behind their laptops or on their cell phone and uh you know that was a big problem for me in san francisco culture over the years leading up to this but you know do we have an opportunity now where you know everybody will be working from home and space will be limited within coffee shops or on the curb or whatever it is um, that, that that those spaces in that time will be much more valuable to us and maybe we can return to the creative spirit that started the San Francisco vibe I mean is San Francisco still viable I guess that's you know really the the question to I think me we'll have to right see now. how much rents go down I, I like thinking about you know when, when John Law talks about when he first came to San Francisco and Soma was like, like basically burned out and all these empty buildings and empty warehouses, right? And he said that it was it was great for all these like weirdos and pranksters because they had all this free room to run around in and cause mayhem and and create culture. And I think that if you know, I mean, granted, there's there's just so much money here. Who knows what's going to happen? But you, if if you have all these companies that that have, are evacuating these spaces, uh, something creative has to be done with them, or you know. They will and go fallow, and then maybe we will have an opportunity to, to cause more fun and mayhem. Who knows? I well, agree. Ship. You know, and this is not the first time we've been through this. San Francisco has a history of going through hardships, being resilient, and coming back on top. I think what excites me, you know, as a native, is what I see happen when things like this happen. When things like this happen, it's like, the artists are highlighted. There's all types of interesting things that happen. Um, you really start to feel the energy of all the weirdness and it feels like San Francisco again. I think what scares me is when everybody starts enjoying it and then it turns into something that becomes profitable for like some, you know, sorry to say, white tech guy. <laughs> that happens a lot. Like... Sure. Everybody sees you having a good time. Oh, I'm going to make something out of this. I, you know, I worked right. at Uber for two years. I can't say much about working there because legally, what I can talk <laughs> about is what it's like to work at in a tech company. Mm. And in talking to some of my former coworkers, a lot of them are even trying to like do these startups where it's like 
everybody misses their office snacks so much that they're trying to start like little startups to where we have those same office snacks. It's called a liquor store, isn't it? I mean, it is. <laughs> Download this app and then you get like, you know, here's this, here's that. Here's your chocolate covered omelets. Here's your peanuts. Here's your, you know, nutri grain bars. Here's like your hard boiled egg and your cheese and all this other shit. So like, they're just looking for anything to like profit off of. And, yeah, that's, and that's kind of like the tech mind. Anybody watch that Netflix documentary that's out right now? Social Dilemma. Oh, the, uh, Social I really want to watch it. Make sure you watch it. Because, and know that after this is over, we're going to enjoy the art. We're going to do everything. It's going to feel like the city again. People are going to love it. And then people are going to start moving back here. And it's the same shit's going to happen again. I'm telling you. History repeats. No. <laughs> well, San Francisco has a great history of chewing up and spitting out the ones that have created it. We've always done that here. It's always happened. There have been wave after wave after wave, and uh, and I and I think it's happening again. I think that the you know the tech you know influence came in. It, it created a new San Francisco, and then San Francisco just felt sick of it and threw it out. You know. Marky and I worked together at Green Apple Books close to 30 years ago. That's how we met each other. What were your, that was at like 91, Mark? Uh, 94. Yeah, 90. You wow. were there in 94? 94, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, that was the kind of place where, you know, I started as a part-time uh, employee during, you know, my part-time era at City College and ended up owning the place. And... Uh, and then, Mark, you went on to, you know, from Green Apple to the the Bay Guardian, which, you know, I I was able to, you know, be able to freelance, you know, journalist for and to contribute. And the weight of, of the cultural history, the artistic history of San Francisco weighed heavily on me. When I got here and I got involved with Green Apple Books and I met people like you, Mark, you know, and we... Uh, it felt like we were all kind of working together to create something um, to, 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 I don't know, to, to pay respect for the ones who came before us here. You know, there's so many different stories that have gone through San Francisco and, uh, you know, and, and it's places like the, the independent bookstores and the bars and the coffee shops and these little places that people would meet and would would share their stories and their sense of history with each other and and build on that i'm really concerned for uh, you know many different reasons may not exist in san francisco when we come out of this that yeah you know the maybe twitter has finally decided to not have their footprint take up three blocks of the downtown area or whatever and let everybody work from home and it and they can still have a San Francisco presence while living in Iowa or whatever it is. But is there going to be a core, you know, of people who want to live in San Francisco and be a part of this, this area, this physical place? And is it even really necessary? I guess that's a, a very curious notion, you know, because a lot of people were drawn to San Francisco over the years because they would, you know, seek out their peers you know, uh, let's talk about the queerdos. In that, is 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 that a thing? <laughs> Are there? Is that a real world? Now, who came up with that term? Was that Tom Radulovich? No, it's been around for a long time. I think it's just Pete wanted to get it into a headline. 
Um, Good. A lot of us have referred to each other as that for a long time. (laughs) But I love seeing it in a headline. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, it's it's so engaging and striking. Uh, But, you know, um, does... San Francisco succeeded because it provided an opportunity for the queerdos to find their their ilk, their kin, you know, uh, your comrades. You come here and you would meet your other. Uh, does that have to happen anymore now with with the uh, you know the virtual communities? Does a place like San Francisco have to exist? Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that I was part of a big thing that's now being considered almost a refugee migration that happened in the 90s during the height of AIDS when gay people moved from the Midwest to San Francisco. And like, it's baffling why people would move to the center of AIDS during the height of AIDS. But really it was because we could feel more open, we could feel more politically empowered, and we are around these services that earlier we were talking about homeless people sometimes migrate to be around services. So, um, you know, that was a very big time when people were being kicked out of their house because homophobia was like a national thing. Um, you know, it was like the, the height of homophobia happening that like really propelled a lot of young people to move to San Francisco. And that's also still happening. And that's why more than half of our young uh, homeless people are LGBTQ identified um, because they had to leave their homes and they don't have a place to go back to when things get rough. Um, so they're really feeling the squeeze of this. Um, but, you know, I mean, while I was here and while I was around queer people here and feeling that power, the tech thing was happening. And, you know, I went left Green Apple and became um, an editor at uh, gay.com and Planet Out, which was at the time the only way that gays around the globe could connect with each other. And it was an incredibly empowering experience. And it was a big tech experience, too. So it shows really that tech also had a very positive transformation. Um, Now, of course, as soon as gay.com tried to go for the money and cash in with a stock IPO, everything hit the fan. All the actual queer people were fired so that the gay money men could run in. And um, so I think there, too, we're seeing an example of how tech itself transformed from a creative thing to a money making operation that kind of just cut everybody out who was creative. But you're considering that now is a a good time for that to to come back around again? Well, I think what we can talk about with San Francisco is transformation and how things change. What I saw um, working as a tech person through the boom and then the bust, which uh, eventually made me leave tech and go into print, which is really weird, um, was, <laughs> was tech was so full of creative people who were being already being edged out by the money makers that when the bust happened, suddenly all these creative people had pink slips. Um, they, they had money all of a sudden because they had severance packages. And what they did was most of the creative people stuck around. They started indie bands. They started their own brand of beard oil. They experimented with gastronomy. And that's why we suddenly uh-huh. had this indie hipster <laughs> renaissance that happened in San Francisco in the 2000s. Yeah. Like all of these, right. a lot of these people had roots in tech and suddenly they could invest in their little small boutique business 
after the bust. Um, and so what we saw was the transformation of tech people into creative people uh, that were what we think of as creatives. So there's no reason this might not happen again now. Um, other we than need it to happen people, again. Yeah, other than most of the people I think that's crucial. marketing programs. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's crucial because now we're going to have these these opportunities coming up, these these vacancies, these storefronts that, uh, you know, yeah, it would be neat to put in a little boutique and a little bookstore and a little whatever. Do people ever want to go inside again? That's a question for a different <laughs> conversation. But, you know, we are, um, you know, at the at the precipice of, of a new, you know, a new opportunity in San Francisco, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, do you, okay. Uh, bef- let's, let's like get to the end of this. Do we feel optimistic? Are we, you know, is this a, a change for good? You know, is this what we've been waiting for in San Francisco? We don't know shit at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just at this point where I don't fucking know anything anymore. There's a fucking pandemic. The sky turns orange. RBG's dead. What the fuck is going on? Like, honestly, like I got a drink and I got a fucking I don't know, man. It's crazy. Orange day. That orange day fucked me all the way up. Yeah. I'm still not over it. Yeah, Orange Wednesday. That was crazy as shit. Yeah, I really, I really saw so many people posting about how they wanted to actually leave. They were actively looking into leaving after that orange day. Yeah. So if anything, the queerdos want to go somewhere where they can breathe. Is <laughs> really the thought. I literally felt like I was on the set of Total Recall. I was like, if I go outside, my eyes are gonna bulge out. Like, <laughs> and the know? irony. The weird thing is that was a relatively clear day, air quality wise. The yeah. next day was horrible, and then it got really bad, and then you know I got sick, and this, like, it's a whole like it was horrible. But that one day it was just this precursor. Like, what for me was so strange about it is it felt like the sun broke the rules. It's like this. It's gonna the sun will the rise tomorrow. This you know it's gonna come up again, and it didn't. And it really didn't all day long. None of those photos could capture it. None of that. I slept in until like 1030 or 11 o'clock. And, and I just kept, I opened my eyes and I looked. And there was this one little like square of sunlight or whatever, the light, the illumination from my curtain into my bedroom. And it looked like pre-dawn light, like that beautiful pink, you know, kind of like, oh, it's like 530 in the morning. And I, I opened my eyes and I saw it and it was on my dresser. And I was like, oh, it's it's still pre-dawn or it's you know sunrise i can go to sleep i can sleep for another hour and i opened my eyes again and it was the exact same light in the exact same space and i was like oh that's, that's weird i thought i fell I... back asleep again i'm gonna you know and then i and then ollie is like hey it's 10 30 wake up it's like <laughs> and it just ne- and the light never changed it just I never weird like and it scared me. It really, it still scares me. It was it a weird It is really day. scary. So was I was day. around, so I remember the 1989 earthquake. Yeah. Um, which was awful, an awful thing to go through as, you know, as a child. But like, there we had so, there were no resources. We obviously didn't have tech or anything that we have now. Right. But I think about how in that crisis, which lasted for a while, which is actually like, and you all know, the craziest day ever, the Battle of the Bay, you know, the uh, World Mm -hmm. Series, all these different types of things were going on. But anyway, 
without all the resources that we have now, people were just like paying attention and following whatever orders that the mayor gave us. We didn't have like anything. And then before you know it, we were out and everything was like on its way back to normal. I'm also, I'm kind of wondering if like tech is kind of fucking up our flow. Oh, 100%. Or at least the disinformation, it's the abuse of it and, and the, the, the gaping holes that allow that to happen. I mean, I haven't watched The Social Dilemma yet, but I'm sure that's part of it. You know, like the, the way it's, uh, this shit's being abused for the fact that these people who control these things care more about profits than they do about undermining our entire democracy. Like, look, fucking science is broken, guys. Like, like they broke science. Like people don't care anymore. You can tell you can show them all the facts and they're just like, oh, cool. Uh, my buddy from high school in my chemistry class says masks aren't real. Right. And then suddenly, like, it fucking doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Can you tell I'm fucking at my wit's end? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Get fired up. <laughs> it's getting so, I got to tell you guys something. So I've been doing, I've been phone banking for, for Joe Biden um, the past couple weeks. I'm, I'm trying to do an hour a day. And I, it, we're, we're focusing on Florida. And it, I'd say... Of the people I talk to, uh, I'd say like 70% are probably for Joe Biden. Um, we get like, most of you know, we get a lot of hangups and no, or like not there or that kind of thing. I get a couple independents or whatever and, and uh, very few Trumpers, which is good news. But I got it yesterday. I got this thing and uh, the guy just started yelling at me and cursing at me. He's like, you fucking piece of shit. Don't fucking call here. Yeah, yeah. And so I was already in a mood myself. So I, so he said some shit to me. He goes, uh you fucking Antifa uh, faggot. And I'm just like, what? He's like, you. And I'm just like, yeah, well, I, I was pretty mad. I said, well, I am. And I know where you live. I can burn your fucking house down. And then, uh, <laughs> and then he's like, well, we believe in the Second Amendment in this house. And I said, you can't even count to the Second Amendment, motherfucker. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of devolved. We, 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 yeah, we went back and, back and forth like that for about like four minutes or so. And then um, I felt really good afterwards, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it was kind of cathartic, you know, you get it all out and yell at somebody like that. Oh, man. Why well, am I taking you up on that yell. then, Stuart? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds, sounds wonderful. Let's do it. Let's all volunteer to phone back. I'm the worst because if somebody gets mad at me and yells at me and hangs up, I'll call them back and be like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't be doing any phone back. I'll find other ways. Well, you know, I, that was the first real bad one I had. To be, to be honest, the kind of person I am, like, I, I'm Jewish. I grew up in a loud family. I don't mind yelling and shit, you know? So, like, I actually was like, afterwards, I was, I was kind of wish I could have a conversation with the guy, you know? Like, hey, we got, we got it all out. Can we talk now? You know, but uh, <laughs> that's the kind of weirdo I am. I don't think he was going to want to talk to me. Well, that's the beauty of neighborhoods and community. And when you can do that and you can see each other or talk to each other or hear each other or whatever it is and exchange, man, that's great. I hope San Francisco keeps that. That's what made me stop is like, man, those barroom conversations, those cafe shop conversations. Mm -hmm. And if we can't get back to a place where we can meet each other on common ground and find out about you and you find out about me. Um, then I don't know. We don't have anything left. And I guess, you know, if it takes calling people in, <laughs> you know, Trumpville and hollering. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, like that was, like I said, that's a one-off and uh, excuse me for saying, I couldn't figure out how to say the F word without meaning the other F word. Oh, so I, I apologize. Not, oh. 
Oh my God, I don't, please. <laughs> oh, I'm apologizing to you, Marky. I'm apologizing to everybody listening. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, the, the whole goal of, of what we're doing is like just letting people know that you can vote early in Florida and that you need to vote early. So it's less likely to um, have your, your vote be scandalized by whatever's going on over there. And I'd say most people, like, I'd say more than anything, we get uh, hang ups or, uh, or no, nobody answering. But really, like, people are excited to vote for joe biden i mean well let me let me rephrase that people are excited to vote against donald trump in florida in florida yeah we're just oh, focusing wow. on florida like, yay go florida vote against <laughs> but granted maybe i mean maybe the, the area codes i'm calling are probably there i mean it's from the democratic voter rolls so yeah. who knows yeah okay yeah so, so. So, yeah, no surprises that the queerdos are not going to vote for Donald Trump in San Francisco. <laughs> I kind of wanted to mention about, you know, what happens with um, people working from home. We talk a lot about the tech industry and we talk about a lot about just the average person. But there's a, you know, the working class and then there's um, people of color. Like, I I am from a black community, the Bayview. Mm-hmm. And one thing I know is that there are a ton of multi-generational homes. So I mean, like, whether you're Asian, you know, Latin, African-American, you might be in a situation where you got your uncle, your auntie, your grandma, your grandpa, your cousin, your nephew, all these different people living in a house. And a lot of the times there's um, people who are, bus drivers or grocery store workers, they're all doing the essential jobs. And that's also the reason why we have the worst uh, cases of COVID. Why, why, why you hear a lot about how disproportionate these cases are within communities of color. So um, while many people celebrate working from home and think it's a great thing, we need to also consider communities of color on that situation but then also like consider the people who were redlined and discouraged from living here and and priced out who were black who were told that they could come back mm-hmm. there never are... a chance to like and that's so... i just feel like in these stories these these media stories everybody's forgetting about people of color I never hear about that. For and sure. that's a really, uh, yes. Uh, is this a, a place? Is it, so, Megan, is this a place to come back to? Or is there somewhere else that your the dollars could be spent and the communities are more equipped and it's just a better place for people to regather and reinvent? Is San Francisco still the place to come back to? Well, of course. I mean, resilient city, city where that has gone through so many things and, you know, has a history of looking to artists and weirdos and whomever else to make it the great city it is. It's built on culture. It's built on, you know, the, the quirky energy of, of many people who lived here. That's what we love about San Francisco, the randomness. I was walking down the street the other day and like this guy just walked out and started playing his violin and was so good at it, you know, like, 
other random sh- random shit that happens. Like you sometimes you just see random shit, and that's what I love about the city. But when we talk about these things, we always forget that there is a group of people that also added to that culture, and they're never considered in these articles. They're never talked about. They're never re- reached out to. Like nobody knows. Uh, the Fillmore District, for instance, an area that's been fighting for the soul of its community for so long, that was built on black businesses, uh, jazz clubs, places where Betty, um, Sammy Davis and like Billie Holiday and all these like jazz legends went to. Yeah, Billie Holiday was arrested in San Francisco for yeah, her well, heroin yeah, bust. It just created, that a, happened. created a whole vibe around the area. Sure. And, and, and we don't we talk down about here. that. We don't talk about the impact. Bob City. Bob City, which was actually located where um, Marcus Books used to be before mm-hmm. they got priced out. Like, there's so much energy. The Blue Door, um, 1300 on Fillmore, Yoshi's, Chiba Piano Lounge, the Boom Boom Room, all these places. Uh, Manor Clubs. People go and hang out and have a good time. Um, it's just bizarre that nobody ever talks about that. Well, but let's let's bring it back to, to right now. Is is this a place where we can create places like that again? Do we have an opportunity here? You know, because you know, I, I think of a place like Bourbon and Branch that basically reinvented the cocktail scene ten or so years ago with that speakeasy, and it was awesome. It was great. Thought this was exactly what San Francisco needs. Is this cool little thing of return to you know a classic era of cocktail culture. Um, and it's a secret and you kind of, kind of know. So, and then they, and then all of a sudden they started buying up all of the dive bars in the city. And before you know it, like they took over Dave's on third and you know, like Mm -hmm. that's my favorite bar. Like what? We don't need $15 cocktails at Dave's, you know? No, you, you no, should. Don't. That's you insane. Saved, seriously, yeah, that you crazy. saved, you I saved the city. Today. I was looking at, like, going to all the old places I used to go to, Whiskey Thieves. Thieves Town. Yeah. A delirium. Like, right. all, you know, even, like, um, Casanova. Like, all these sure. different places Casanova's still go going. To. Yeah. But yeah, do we need do we need that sort of um, I don't know that I culture mean, that comes in that, that yeah. like you know they're like the one the one place that comes in and and, and reinvigorates it and then says oh, I'm just going to build on it and now all of a sudden no. we've got ten we'll take we'll we'll just you know we'll gentrify it and we'll make all the money and now they're suffering and they're having to close their places and it's like boo hoo I don't I don't care you took half of my favorite places out you were good once. You had to push it, and now you fucked everything up. <laughs> and this is the situation we're in right now, you know? So does San Francisco, will San Francisco provide opportunities for those who love San Francisco from the past to come back and go like, now's the time for me to open that little coffee shop I wanted to or that art gallery or that bar? Is San Francisco finally going to relax a little bit and let the community build itself again or are they going to try to control it marky i don't know you you were one to oh yeah no i mean it was just, I, it was just interesting just talking to megan's point about um how in these discussions especially in the media the creatives and the queerdos are always kind of seen and, and framed as uh you know white uh woo-woo artist types um when as someone who's owned 
a queer bar, um, the stud, I know from a fact that almost the most creative energy, especially in the queer scene from arts, music, uh, protest, is coming from the Black queer community. And it's such a shame that um, many of the people who are doing all of that have to live so far away from San Francisco. So, I mean, I would really hope that if there is an opportunity for people to who aren't who can't afford thirty five hundred dollars a month uh, for a one room apartment can move back into San Francisco, it would be precisely the people who are making the moves on th these kind of creative things, which are people of color and Black people and queer people. So that's those are the queerdos that I think of, not like the Burning Man, twirling poi kind of types, but these people who are creating some of the most wonderful art right now and really bringing thousands of people into the streets for protests so i feel like those people are ready to move it you know and to be clear that is not what i meant by that i understand oh, what you're sure. saying oh, yeah. i'm from san francisco and trust me i got <laughs> queerness in my family and mm -hmm. friends friendship like i get it oh you yeah. were absolutely right. i did not know that you were one of the owners of the stud <laughs> my god you know i was in Place when I was 19 years uh, old. Yeah. Oh, don't know Ixnay on that. Arbitrary spelling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's so fun. <laughs> I know about the set. I shouldn't have been in there. I should tell you that I was 19 in there, but I was in there. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I was totally agreeing with you. It's just the way the media frames it. It's like the weirdos are these, like, you know, they want a return of this, you know, 90s kind of, we have 18 piercings and, you know, this kind of white oh, sure. vision. But there's so much more going on right now that's so vital that I hope it just overwhelms us when it can, you know. Just I think we just need cheaper rents. Mm -hmm. Cheaper rents. We could have that if the rents go down, basically. Yeah, commercial rents are probably not going to go down over the next six, nine months, a year. It's they're, they're much more precise in that way. They're going to hold on to it. It's probably, uh, you know, like uh, personal rents, apartments, and whatnot. That'll mm -hmm. probably start dropping. But commercial rents, nah. There are too many ownership conglomerates, uh, you know, outside of the city that they just they'll just hold it. You know, the it's the the value will come back around again. It's a really uh, it's a conundrum, but I don't think that those rents are going to drop. I don't. I think we're going to see a lot of vacancies, and I think we're going to see a lot of boarded up storefronts. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just have to break and enter and set up our own shit. Then there it is. <laughs> yeah, bring back the diggers mentality. Right. A free right? store, you know, like make it happen. Um, let's wrap this up. Um, running out of of time on this. Um, Anything that we haven't touched on? Well, that... you let us know. What do you think? I mean, did yeah. we cover anything you wanted to cover? We kind of just like went off and talked our shit. But if there's something, that oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, feel free. You feel free to cut out my entire Joe Biden thing. I was just on a rant. I'm gonna have to because <laughs> it's a, I'm a nonprofit. Nonprofit <laughs> museum. I have to know politics, so that will be a, that's a foregone conclusion. So yeah, so if you. <laughs> if you want another three minutes, Stuart, take him. <laughs> What's up? I said if you want to, it's going to go. So for sure, I, I can't do politics. I no, can't talk politics. Get yeah. rid of it. It's fine. <laughs> so if you have, if you want another three minutes, you can have it. No, it's fine. <laughs> what, it comes down to, what it comes down to in San Francisco is that we've been through these situations before. 
we are a resilient city, things happen, and then we look to our artists, you know, our weirdos, our queerdos, anybody, any person of color who is artistic, we look at them, we, we activate storefronts, we have street events, we do all kinds of things, you know, to really elevate artists. And then so, what ends up happening is someone finds a way to capitalize off of it and then we're all fucked again. Well, there so, you go. That's yet another burden on a culture that, you know, we've relied on for artistic influences over half. I mean, all of America. <laughs> I'm thinking about all of my influences in American culture. I'm a jazz buff. I mean, that's, I have 2000 jazz records. Like I'm thinking of like the, the influence of black culture on my life is beyond compare, beyond everything, like times a factor of a million. So is that your responsibility again? Or the, you know, like, Oh, you will have, I mean, or, 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 you know, or tech bros going to come in and be like, Oh, we love you. Well, no, I we think, this, this, I think here's the culture. We're going to contribute to the culture. This time around, it's weird. Uh, yeah. Go. I don't mean to talk over you. I can't hear. I think what's important for our culture to know this time around is that um, instead of looking at artists as a temporary solution to a problem, we need to really embrace them and just go with it and make it a part of how we operate in the city instead of looking at these quick fixes, making our city attractive to people from the outside. I mean, we've learned time and time again that when people who are just here to capitalize from the outside don't really understand the cultural fabric of San Francisco, that don't really care about it, just that just see dollar signs when they come here, we're not we're no longer targeting them. We are trying to keep the soul of the city. So embrace that and really go with it. Mm-hmm. That's my, yes. my feeling. And then hopefully we can eventually get something like commercial rent control laws. Yeah. That has to happen, Stuart. Yeah, I mean, something that's, like that. that's crucial. I mean, one good thing to think about is if our friends and families and loved ones do come back to the city after the San Francisco diaspora, um, there's so many, so much stronger laws now here to keep them here. Like if we had the laws that we have now back in 2011, 2012, and 2013, all of our friends would still be here. So uh, as we and we continue if we continue to get laws like that on the books, um, it will help keep the people who want to be here here, and hopefully, ultimately, um, maybe bring some people back. All right, shall we call it? And also, yeah. yep. yes, no, we got and, and also, go ahead, Megan. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's no great. Um, also, really look at cultural districts. If you can yes. take a moment to go and check out all the different culture districts within San Francisco. Well, Chinatown's dying right now, right? That are the organizations that are really going to bring that energy back in, that authentic energy. And by the way, I'm one of the founders of the African American culture district. Yay. So. Dope. so how can we better support that? Like day after tomorrow, what can okay. we do? Go to our website. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> is there any place? I mean, but. You have techies. Go to our I website. Know. Yeah. No. Um, I would say visit the neighborhoods to which these um, cultural districts represent. You know, so far we have the Leather District. 
you have the Castro, we've got African Americans, there's there's many Filipino, um, and of course, Calle Vinte Cuatro, which was the first, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the districts are areas where folks can go and, and take a walk, be a part of the community. Take a walk, patronize local businesses locations. that are owned by immigrants in some situations. Mm-hmm. Keep those small businesses alive. Go shop at these local grocery stores. Like, yes. oh, when's the last time you've been to Clement and Sixth Avenue? Like, go there and like get your groceries. Don't go to Safeway. Go to Clement and Sixth. Yeah. In half. And if you're gonna go to Clement and Sixth, I live on Clement and Eighth. So, drop me a line. Say hi. I'll meet you at the Richmond Republic. We can have a pint. Yeah. There are these extraordinary uh, parklets everywhere mm-hmm. everywhere is that what san francisco is going to become every city in the I united mean, it depends states how rainy it gets this year wow it's so strange just like the parklets are galore like yeah. the whole <laughs> streets it's bizarre I'm actually, and some of them are ugly. So we're going <laughs> to. Some of them are ugly. I'm on that. Like, I, you know, I'm working with shared spaces and livable city, which is why I knew a lot about what uh, Tom Radulovich said uh, in this article that we're talking about. But um, it's actually some pretty rewarding work. Pairing restaurants with bars, restaurants that don't have like bars with bars to get them open safely and then um, helping them with their shared spaces application, which would allow them to be onto the sh- into the street. Um, but some people are just going crazy with these parklets. And I'm like, <laughs> where did you find this? <laughs> so this is another situation where we're looking at local artists to come and like do murals um, on these parklets and everything. It, anyone- on the exteriors, that's a beautiful idea. Uh, Megan, is there a place where people can get in touch with the organization if they're an artist or if they're, uh, you know, someone who wants to participate? They, they should go to Livable City. Just go to livablecity.org and, and send a message, like, you know, because we're working on that. And then also just um, you can go directly to the owner. Like, I'm not. I, I'm not like all about being the middleman. I want artists to get the most bang for their buck. So if you go somewhere and you see an ugly ass parklet, go to that owner and say, hey, you know, I noticed your parklet was ugly as shit. So I'd like to <laughs> help you create one that's not. So. Yeah, let's work together. <laughs> let's build community. Closer, but like, <laughs> yes. And, um, but like, yeah. I think that there's um, a lot of opportunity out there. This is the time where artists are being highlighted. They're doing the storefronts, all the buildings that are boarded up, they're painting over. Hell yeah. No, it's, uh, I think we're going to have to put a pin in this because that's something for a much other conversation, you know, yeah. and Banksy's going up like 5 million to five to $6 million estimate on his Monet oh garden thing coming up on, you know, day after tomorrow or something, and we got. Is that somebody's stomach? 
Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I had Doritos today. We do, have bris- <laughs> we do have brisket in the oven for uh, Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> oh, happy, happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really hear a little more from, from Marky just because like I was excited to get on this call. Oh. What do you want to hear from okay, me? Mark. I don't know. Just anything. <laughs> I've been talking, so we're like three. You do it. Uh, like, I'm the newcomer. I'm the new kid. <laughs> no, I think, what you, said, I think what you all said is great. I, this is what, why not? I would love to be part of another bigger conversation, another big conversation that we have down the line. How about I promise that? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. All right. Then let's look forward to that. Anybody else? And no. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Alfrisco, the SF podcast, which has been a production of the San Francisco Cultural History Museum and brought to you in partnership with Intersection for the Arts. And thanks to generous contributions from Owsley Brown and the Minor Anderson Family Foundation. Be sure to visit www.sfcitymuseum.org for links and supplementary photo galleries from this episode, as well as to stay in touch with other SFCHM productions and events. Be sure to be safe out there, and please don't forget to wear your mask.